Isaiah chapter 28 verse 1 Woe to the proud crown of the drunkards of Ephraim and the fading flower of the beauty of his glory that is on the head of the fat valley of the broken down of wine. Ephraim is a pseudonym for all of Israel. It can also refer to Judah because Ephraim is one of the favored tribes. In a sense, it's the most favored tribe because Ephraim was the youngest son of Joseph, who was the youngest son of Israel, and Joseph was Israel's favorite. This chapter is calling Israel to repent for its apostasy. There are many Christians today who must repent of their apostasy, otherwise they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Apostasy is when you claim that you're a child of God, and you claim that you're of the faith, but you live like a sinner willfully, and you have no intention of repenting, and you believe that you have a ticket to heaven no matter what you do, and you can sin all you want, and you think that the Lord is still going to save you on judgment day. That's what apostasy is. Some people who believe once saved, always saved, are living in apostasy. They don't think that they can lose their salvation, so they just keep sinning. They have no motivation to repent because they believe in eternal security. Now, not everyone who believes in eternal security lives in sin. Certainly not. A lot of them are faithful followers of Christ. But that is one of the false doctrines that has caused a lot of people to err and turn to apostasy. Apostasy and backsliding are two different things. Backsliding is when you know that you're sinning and you know that you need to repent, but you still haven't done it because you love your sin more than you love Jesus Christ. So if you are a backslidden Christian, you also must repent. You don't know if you'll be alive tomorrow, so repent today. But an apostate is someone who absolutely does not believe that they need to repent, and they are defiant in their sin. They're proud of their sin because they think they're going to heaven no matter what they do. So the apostate is in a worse situation than the backslidden Christian. At least the backslidden Christian still has a conscience, and they know what they need to do. But the apostate doesn't have a conscience. Both the backslidden and the apostate wear spotted robes. Their lives are full of sin that they haven't repented of. And both of them will stand before God on Judgment Day, but the backslidden will know why they're rejected if they haven't repented. And the apostates are actually going to be surprised. And they're going to say, Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we preach? Didn't we go on mission trips? Didn't we give to the poor? And he's going to say, Depart from me. I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. You refused to repent, and you were never my friend. That's what he'll say to the apostate. Verse 1 says that the beauty of Israel is fading. Our beauty always fades in sin. 2. Lo, a mighty and strong one is to the Lord, as a storm of hail, a destructive shower, as an inundation of mighty waters overflowing, he casts down to the earth with a hand. The Lord's hand is very strong, and just like a flood overtaking us, the Lord will punish us for our sins. 3. By feet trodden down is the proud crown of the drunkards of Ephraim. We can wear a crown that we put on our own head through arrogance. We can think that we're better than God and crown ourselves. 
but it's better to wear the crown that Jesus Christ will put on us when we go to heaven. It's better to wear a crown of glory than a crown of pride. But Israel is wearing a crown of pride because it continues to practice idolatry, knowing the law and knowing that the Lord hates idolatry, and yet those Israelites were still calling themselves children of God. 4. And the fading flower of the beauty of his glory that is on the head of the fat valley hath been as its first fruit before summer, that its beholder seeth, while it is yet in the hand he swalloweth it. The beauty of Ephraim is going to be swallowed up by the Lord, meaning that the Lord is going to make Israel ugly, to reveal how sinful Israel is. He did that to Satan and the demons. Satan and the demons used to be beautiful angels, but because they rejected Jesus as Lord, the Lord took all of their beauty away, and they became the ugliest creatures alive. In this prophecy, it says that he's going to make Israel ugly as well. And the metaphor is that her beauty will be swallowed up quickly, just as somebody gobbles up the first fruits of the summer. 5. In that day is Jehovah of hosts for a crown of beauty and for a diadem of glory to the remnant of his people. The word remnant in the Bible means the faithful believers. Most people who call themselves Christians or call themselves Jews are not really faithful believers. The remnant are those who actually practice faith, repent of their sins, and put all of their trust in the Lord. 6. And for a spirit of judgment to him who is sitting in the judgment, and for mighty to those turning back the battle to the gate. Verse 7 could be talking about the millennial reign of Christ, but it could also be talking about the first coming of Christ when the gospel is preached. And in that day, people who were in darkness will receive his spirit of judgment and his spirit of power. They won't have to turn and run in the battle. They'll be able to face Satan and resist his temptations. 7. And even these through wine have erred, and through strong drink have wandered. Priest and prophet erred through strong drink. They have been swallowed up of the wine. They have wandered because of the strong drink. They have erred in seeing. They have stumbled judicially. I'm sure a lot of them were drunkards at this time because they were living in apostasy. But this is probably a metaphor meaning that they're drunk in their own pagan practices and in their own arrogance. They're gluttons for their pagan practices. That's what makes them feel good. Because of that, they've lost their judgment to obey the Lord. 8. For all tables have been full of vomit, filth without place. The metaphor continues that because of their drunkenness, the Israelites are vomiting everywhere. This means that their actions are worthless. If what comes out of you is vomit, then you're producing worthlessness. Faith without obedience is worthless faith. Some people are extremely spiritual, but what they believe in is leading them into hell. They may believe in witchcraft, or New Age, or false Eastern religions, or they may have false doctrine. You can have a really strong faith, but if it's in the wrong thing, it's doing you no good. 9. By whom doth he teach knowledge, and by whom doth he cause to understand the report, the weaned from milk, the removed from breasts, 
the religious leaders are making fun of Isaiah, saying that his message of repentance is fit only for babies to listen to. 10. For rule is on rule, rule on rule, line on line, line on line, a little here, a little there. 11. For by scorned lip and by another tongue doth he speak unto his people. The message of the Lord is very simple. We must repent of our sins and obey his commandments and put all of our faith in him. It's that simple. But in a lot of the fancy churches, they want to act really intellectual and tell you all of these amazing facts, half of which aren't even true in their sermons. And then they get you to think that they're smarter than you are. Therefore, you should believe whatever they say. And what they say is that it's impossible to repent of your sins and we'll never be perfect until we get to heaven. So we're just going to keep on sinning and Jesus is just going to keep on forgiving. And they make up this complicated gospel that makes no sense and is not in agreement with the Bible. Here in verse 9 and 10, it says that the priests are mocking Isaiah's warning to the people to repent. And they're saying, it's too simple. It's just a precept upon a precept. You're not really teaching them anything deep. And they're saying, we're deep teachers. We have a lot of intellectual knowledge to share with the people. But knowledge never saves. Remember, Eve pursued knowledge by eating the fruit, and it didn't save her, did it? Today, there's a lot of intellectual teachers that sell a bunch of books and they have a big church. Or there might be an intellectual teacher in your local community. But has that teacher ever actually told you to repent? Because that's all you need to know. You just need a simple little precept. Repent. 12. Unto whom he hath said, This is the rest. Give ye rest to the weary, and this the refreshing, and they have not been willing to hear. Our rest is rest from religion. The intellectual teachers want us to practice their religion. They want us to be plugged into their programs and showing up for all of their events and activities. They want us to dance to their tune, as Jesus said in the New Testament. He said, you want me to dance to your dirge, and I'm not going to do it. But religion isn't salvation, and that's why Jesus never preached religion. He preached repentance. Our spiritual rest is rest from religion and our own sinful acts. Resting in Jesus Christ means simply obeying him by faith. 13. And to whom a word of Jehovah hath been, rule on rule, rule on rule, line on line, line on line, a little here, a little there, so that they go and have stumbled backward, and been broken, and snared, and captured. When the word of God is presented truthfully, little by little, line by line, explaining to you what sin is and what you need to repent of, this actually will cause people to err because they reject it. They don't want to believe the simple truth, and so they fall away. 14. Therefore, hear a word of Jehovah, ye men of scorning, ruling this people that is in Jerusalem. The men of scorning are the intellectual priests and leaders who are leading the people into apostasy and telling them, Oh, it's okay. You can sin. You can have an idol in your home. You just need to make sure you give us all the tithe that we ask for. And Isaiah is telling them, listen to this word. 15. Because ye have said, we have made a covenant with death, and with Sheol we have made a provision, an overflowing scourge. 
when it passeth over, doth not meet us, though we have made a lie our refuge, and in falsehood we have been hidden. Isaiah says that these false teachers have made a covenant with death because they believe that they will go to heaven no matter what they do, so to them death is welcome. They don't see any barrier between them and the Lord. 16. Therefore thus said the Lord Jehovah, Lo, I am laying a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tried stone, a corner stone, precious, a settled foundation. He who is believing doth not make haste. This verse is talking about Jesus Christ. He is the cornerstone that the scribes and the Pharisees rejected. Jesus quotes this verse in the New Testament, saying that it is all about him. Isaiah is prophesying that Jesus will come to Israel and spread his gospel in the first coming. 17. And I have put judgment for a line, and righteousness for a plummet, and sweep away doth hell, the refuge of lies, and the secret hiding place do waters overflow. The living waters of Jesus Christ will cover the lies of religion. For anybody who gets saved, who repents of their sin, and puts all of their trust in Jesus, the lies of religion suddenly become apparent and you realize that you don't have to do what the religious leaders are telling you to do anymore. What you really have to do is follow Jesus. This says that his judgment, not only his merciful judgment for those who repent, but also the judgment he gives to those who repent will cause them to walk on a level plane because a plummet and a line is what helps you make a level base when you're building a house. So he says their lives will be leveled out because they won't be practicing sin anymore. 18. And disannulled hath been your covenant with death, and your provision with Sheol doth not stand, an overflowing scourge when it passeth over, then ye have been to it for a treading place. Isaiah says those who want to continue living in apostasy and false doctrine will be overcome by death. Death won't be good for them because they are going to hell, not heaven. 19. From the fullness of its passing over it taketh you, for morning by morning it passeth over, by day and by night, and it hath been only a trembling to consider the report. In this verse it's talking about the destruction of sinners. 20. For shorter hath been the bed than to stretch oneself out in, and the covering hath been narrower than to wrap oneself up in. 21. For as at Mount Perizim rise doth Jehovah, as at the valley in Gibeon he is troubled to do his work, strange is his work, and to do his deed, strange is his deed. Verse 20 says that the false doctrine that the religious leaders have made to be their bed is too small. They can't fit into it. Their false doctrine can't save them. It makes a bed that's too small for them to sleep in. The Lord is going to work his wonders and his wrath in Mount Perizim and the Valley of Gibeon. These are areas around Jerusalem, and he is going to bring judgment to Israel. Perez means break forth. It means that the person breaking forth on you is overcoming you. 22. And now show not yourselves scorners. A scorner is a mocker, and they are mocking the word of God and creating their own false doctrine to replace it. 
People do mock the word of God in churches. They say that it's impossible to fully repent. They say that Jesus will forgive our future sins even before we commit them. This is mocking the word of God. Lest strong be your bands for a consumption that is determined, I have heard by the Lord, Jehovah of hosts, is for all the land. Consumption is when your body feeds off of itself. It's like a wasting disease. It's kind of similar to starvation. And he's going to starve the land of Judah. This may not be a physical starvation as much as it is a spiritual starvation. Since they've rejected his word, he's going to withhold his word. But Isaiah has already spoken earlier in the chapter that Jesus will come at one point and he will bring his everlasting water to Jerusalem. 23. Give ear and hear my voice. Attend and hear my saying. 24. The whole day ploweth, the plowman to sow, he openeth and harroweth his ground. 25. Hath he not, if he have made level its face, then scattered finches and cumin sprinkle, and hath placed the principal wheat, and the appointed barley, and the rye, in its own border? 26. And instruct him for judgment, doth his God, he doth direct him. This is a metaphor saying that the farmer has to farm in a certain way in order to be successful. He can't just willy-nilly do things. At some point he has to stop plowing and start sowing. He can't plow forever. And when he sows, he has to put the cumin seed in the correct place and the barley seed in the correct place and the wheat in a different place. He can't mingle them all together in the same soil. There's a proper way of reaping a harvest. And it's the Lord God who tells the farmer how to farm and gives him all of the instructions he needs. 27. For not with a sharp-pointed thing threshed our fitches, and the will of a cart on cumin turned round, for with a staff beaten out our fitches, and cumin with a rod. This says that again there's a proper way to harvest. You don't roll the cart over the seed that you've planted. And flour has to be ground, but the cumin seed has to be beaten out. 28. Bread corn is beaten small, for not forever doth he solely thresh it, nor crushed it hath a will of his cart, nor do his hoofs beat it small. Corn meal is also beaten, but you don't run your cart over it. There's a proper way of doing everything. 29. Even this from Jehovah of hosts hath gone out. He hath made counsel wonderful. He hath made wisdom great. Everything that we know that's true is from God. When I was young, I thought I was really intelligent. And then when I became born again, the Lord told me, that all the smart ideas I ever had were planted in my brain by him. That was when I realized that I was never intelligent. He was just giving me information so that I could teach people. And if he wanted me to do something different, he wouldn't have given me all of that information. True knowledge comes only from God. We can't manufacture it in our own minds. In our own minds, we'll just come up with false doctrine. The religious leaders in Jerusalem thought that they were really smart, but all they came up with was false doctrine, and it was worthless. True knowledge could only come from the Lord. And that concludes Isaiah chapter 28.